Welcome, welcome, welcome to the QC Hornet's Nest, a podcast powered by the Charlotte Observer. I'm your host and resident beat writer, Rod Boone. And each week, I the latest buzz, news, and nuggets on the Charlotte Hornets. I'll be telling you stories other shows won't and giving you the inside access other shows can't. This week, I'm joined by assistant coach Jay Triano. He discusses his job details, exactly how he helps the big men out there on the floor, specifically how does he help Mason Plumlee try to get acclimated to the system that the Hornets want him to be able to thrive in and what he wants to see from him moving forward. So are you ready? Okay, let's go. Let's get it. As the Hornets enter the weekend of action against the Lakers and Clippers, they're in the seventh spot, which is kind of where they've been for the most part for like the last month or so. When you look at where they sit, there are two games ahead of Boston going to the weekend action and two and a half games behind Milwaukee for sixth in the East. So they're kind of right now tucked into that seventh spot again. And it's going to take a couple of games here, in my perspective, for them to kind of climb out of that seventh spot and potentially get it to six or higher. And first it begins with, again, the two games against the Lakers and Clippers over the weekend. But then after that, you have three key games coming up that we'll talk about and I look ahead. But the Hornets have to take care of business the next week or so to kind of feel good about themselves as they prepare for the rest of the second half, going to the trade deadline and also the all-star break. So, but just to look at how they've done so far the last you know, week or so, again, the usual thing with these guys, they're up, down, up, down. So to come off that record-breaking performance against the Pacers where they scored a franchise record 158 points, that to me was their best, obviously, offensive performance in years. I mean, we know about the point total. We get that. That's that's a record. Okay. But just the way they were efficient, second half of this game was incredible. You know, defense, again, was lacking for the first half for sure. Almost 70 points given up to the Pacers, which, you know, should not happen against a team like that ilk who's not very good. Missing several key players and Miles Turner, Demontis Sabonis, you know, th- th- those, those guys. They- they're missing players, so you shouldn't come out there and just not be able to stop the players that they have in their in their place. But to be able to at least come out of there with that win, keep it moving and going to the weekend was a good thing for them because as again, the Hornets have to be able to find some consistency here. The biggest thing with them, as we know, is they've kind of been hot and cold. They have a couple of games where they win, you know, two, three, four in a row. Then they'll lose a couple in a row, kind of get themselves back off the floor and figure out what worked for them during that winning stretch and kind of get back to that. But they've done well in picking themselves off the floor and bouncing back. I'm actually asked Miles Bridges about why they've done that. And he said he thinks because they're really good about watching film. When they have these tough losses and they don't perform the way they should, they get in the film room and James Borrego breaks down mistakes, issues, errors, corrections, things they should improve upon the next game, and they've been able to kind of do that for the most part. So give them credit for at least being able to kind of fix their mistakes as they see them kind of come along. But they got to keep doing that more, again, each week, each game to improve and be where they want to be come April when they're looking up and upstanding and say, hey, this is where you want to be playoff time. We're right there to think of things. And also during their stretch, as we know, LaMelo Ball has been playing well, too. You know, LaMelo had his fourth career triple-double in that game against the Pacers, which 
ties him for the single season high in team history already. And we have, you know, what, 30-something games left to still play. And he's also tied for, for in franchise history for the most in, in team history with five. Um, he's, he's behind a couple of guys and climbing up the, the ranks, but he's, he's two behind Anthony Mason for most all time. So the Hornets, again, have a great player to build around in the mellow ball. And it's important for them to do that. And speaking of LaMelo Ball, you know, as we know, the All-Star stars were announced on Thursday, and LaMelo was not one of them. Didn't expect that he would be. Expected DeMar DeRozan, Trey Young to be ahead of him because they were obviously were ahead of him in the fan voting and everything else. But LaMelo, to me, should be on the All-Star team when the reserves are announced next week. If he's not, is it a travesty? Absolutely not, because he deserves to be on there. But there's also players ahead of him who understand that could also have the same argument about them being as well-deserved to be on the All-Star team. But with what what Melo has done for the Hornets this year, his triple doubles, his scoring, his assists, his rebounding, you know, we know that as LaMelo goes, the Hornets go. When he's playing at the top of his game, when he's distributing the ball out there having fun, the Hornets are a different team. It's hard to kind of go out there and put your finger on just one player and say, well, if this guy doesn't have a good game, we can beat them. No, if Lamelo's on top of his game and distributing the ball, he's getting to Terry, to Miles. He's getting to everybody, you know, Terry, Miles, Gordon Haywood, Kelly Oubre, all these guys are able to flourish and excel when LaMelo's at top of his game. So to me, I think he should be an all-star. All right, so now it's time for our mailbag portion of the podcast. And once again, thank you guys very, very much for submitting your questions. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the pod every week is taking your questions and answering them to the best of my ability and giving you guys a little insight that you're looking for. So this week, we'll start with a question from Twitter from at Z Moretz. That's Zach Moretz. And the question is, why do we beat good teams and lose to bad teams? Great question, Zach. And talking to the players and coaching staff, they don't really have an answer for other than it seemed to really get up for these really big games against teams that they know are some of the best in the league, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Milwaukee, you know, teams like that who they show they can beat, they get up for them right away. But against teams that are below them in the standings that um, are teams that they should kind of come out there and probably just just knock out right away, they don't do that. And it's really frustrating, as, as I'm sure, as, as a fan, when you watch it, because you feel like, hey, these guys are better than the team they're playing. They should go out there and just roll over them. But it doesn't work that way in, in the NBA, not in pro sports at all. I mean, these guys, even though the Night may not have the best record per se of whoever they're playing, they're going to go out there and give it their best because they know that they're still professionals. They still have to be able to show other potential employers that they can go out there and not only play hard, but play with a certain intensity against teams that are not as good as them or, excuse me, are better than them. So in that perspective, I just really believe the Hornets have to find a deeper mentality, just they have to be able to 
Use that same mentality for each and every opponent, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's Detroit, whether it's Orlando, whether it's the Wizards, whoever it is, they got to go out there, use that same kind of fight and gumption every night, or they're not going to go out there and do what they should be doing. But you're right, Zach, to see how they've lost to some of the teams they probably should have beaten and how they beat teams they probably could have lost to so far has been one of the weird things of the Hornet season. But from that perspective, at least you get wins against the good teams. You want to see them against the bad teams too, but if you had a choice against losing against the bad teams and beating the, the good teams, you probably choose beating the good teams, I would assume, right? So we'll see if they can kind of configure this thing out, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on because – when you're starting to build your playoff resume, you want to be able to beat the team you should beat to kind of give yourself a little bit of a cushion. So when you play the teams that are better than you, potentially, that if you lose that game, it won't hurt you come playoff time, standing-wise. So great question, Zach. Thanks for that one. All right, so now, this week, we're going to talk to a special guest on the Hornets coaching staff, and that is Jay Triano. Jay Triano is the top assistant coach who sits next to James Borrego on the bench and has several tasks that he's charged with doing daily. So for you guys who may not know what he does, I asked him exactly to break down his job description, a couple of more things, and here's our interview that I enjoyed speaking with Jay a little bit earlier. What is your job on JB's coaching staff? Wow. Um... I think, you know, over the four years, it's kind of morphed and evolved a little bit. I think initially when I got here, it was to give JB uh, a sounding board as another guy who has been in that position. Uh, I was the only one on the staff who had been a head coach before. Um, so um, that kind of became my, my focus, I, uh, focus on the offensive end. Um, kind of been the offensive coordinator now for four, the last four years. Uh, but you know, JB's JB runs the offense. Like, you know, as most head coaches do, my, my job is to give him advice and to create the game plan for every possible situation. What are we doing on early offense? What are we doing as far as set plays and, uh, and then scouting reports, uh, on how, how can we score against this team? And, uh, you know, it usually entails watching the last three or four games and our last game against teams, um, as to what their coverages are going to be, who we can pick on, uh, what we want to do. And then the last part of it is the end of game situations. Uh, uh, you know, I, I will m monitor a game, watch the game, uh, be locked in on what might be something that we can exploit if there's a good play or I see how they responded to one play, something that we could go to end of game. But, um, you know, JB is pretty meticulous with um, his end of game stuff and how many plays we have. And my job is to keep them all organized and kind of pull out the right ones at the right time uh, at the end. Uh, if T-Row's got a mismatch or T-Row's rolling, we might, we might go with T-Row. If, if Gordon's got a game going, then we're going to make a decision at that point. And I think that's one of the flexibilities of our team where we don't have like the superstar where, you know, it's not going to be Kevin Durant getting the ball in the clutch. We, we have a variety of guys that we can go to. And I think that's what makes us dangerous at the end of games. I was going to ask, does that make you, because you guys have one of the top offenses in the league. You've mm -hmm. been there pretty much all year, which I'm sure you guys are proud of. Mm -hmm. When you look at it in that regard, and you look at the, the different players you have, different pieces, does that make you a little bit more dangerous at times? Because you're right, it's not just Gordon in the game. It's yeah. not Lamelo. It's not Terry. It could be like five guys almost, even Kelly. Throw him in there. Yeah, yeah. I, for sure. Kelly, Kelly's a guy that we have. We have plays for it, for in-the-game plays for Kelly because 
you know, he has a game like he had the other night. End of game, we're going to go to him. If it's a close game, we're going to we're going to ride the hot hand. And I think that I think that you know all of our weapons help us. But I, I also think that the overall theme of how we pass the ball, like we're at the top of the league in number of passes that we make. It's not a lot of isolation basketball. I think our guys have bought into it. We are better individually when we play off the catch, which means we need to move the ball. Uh, so I think that's a, you know, a big proponent of, of our success is our willingness to, to share the basketball and take as much pride in setting somebody up or making even the pass, uh, the Gretzky pass, the pass before the pass, uh, if you make the right read. Um, you know, and we, and we, we try to be proud of the number of paint touches that we get. And when we get in there, we're not always looking to score. We're looking to kick. Um, so, you know, our own selfishness, I think, is what helps us be good. But you have to have a lot of guys that can finish. And mm-hmm. I think that's where our strength is. And you mentioned the paint. Um, you guys, a lot of your offense comes on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, drive to the basket a little bit as well. But how do you maybe improve on some of your paint numbers? You guys have games where you were outscoring the opponent in the paint. Yeah. I'm sure something you probably want to do a little bit more consistently, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Our, our, our ability to finish is, is something we continually work on. But um, we are satisfied right now with the number of times we get in the paint. Um, it's just what we, do we do when we get in there? And, you know, we have a thing called uh, Brady's, you know, after Tom Brady, you know, one of the great players. But we think it's a great play when you can get into the paint sh- to shrink the defense. And if two guys guard you, we want to move the ball. And we call that a Brady. If we get a if we get a dry, a paint touch and a kick out for a three, that's what we're looking for. Uh, catch and shoot threes are higher than off the bounce threes, mm-hmm. so we want to try to create as many of those as we can. So we're consistently looking at how many times we can get in the paint and, and make a, make a, a movement for somebody. And then JB mentioned to me, talked to him before too about how when the ball gets stagnant, you mentioned a lot of movement, insists. Mm-hmm. The times in the game when maybe you guys are down and somebody wants to do it on themselves a little bit too much. Yep. As a coach, how do you view that and say, all right, man, you guys are doing a little too much one-on-one play. How do you draw, I guess, bring them back in to where you want to do? So to well, I think, you know, that's kind of like part of our, you know, we have a, we have an early offense and a flow, we call it, and then we have our, our plays, and then we have an end game. And uh, we get a matchup that we want. Um, even the stats say that a matchup against a weak defender one-on-one isn't very good. You know, so we, we have different schemes that we will run, uh, where we'll run and we'll slip out or we'll run and we'll set a screen based on the game plan. Um, but to, to eliminate the isolation. So you get the matchup you want. We don't necessarily want to go one-on-one. ISO, ISO basketball isn't great um, unless you're playing off the catch. So, you know, number one thing, we want to try to center the basketball, you know, get in the middle of the court to give us more space and then have an action uh, even even if it's an off-ball action, a wide pin for somebody, a pin down for somebody, or somebody running into the screen and either slipping out or setting it. Uh, and I think we try to promote those more than individual play. Mm-hmm. You know, And so if a guy gets going individually, we have a call that we'll make, and then somebody's going to run up there. You know, I don't want to get in this way. Yeah, you do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do, because we, we don't want the one-on-one play. So. And I know uh, pregame stuff, you're working with Mason Plumlee out there yeah. on the floor, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain what you're doing with him pregame and how you're trying to improve his game and get him what you want him to do is to me with the Hornets. Yeah, I think, you know, being the offensive coordinator, I only have one guy to work out. And, um, you know, Mace is, Mace is the guy for me. I think he's the key um, just because of his ability to either set screens or ask for the ball in Zoom actions and be a playmaker. Um, I will give him, like, obviously, you know, try to just, Help him with his finishing. He's a very good finisher, and he plays above the rim. So I don't. I'm not really helping him. He's got a good flow. He's got a little bit of a flow game. But Mace is a great passer. I mean, I think 
uh, as far as big men. So, you know, what's going to be open for that game? I'll give him advice on that. We'll go through our routine. We try to cover everything. We try to cover uh, catching and shooting, uh, which is not his forte, but it's something we keep working on. Um, his float game, his pick and roll game, how to set screens, where to go, how to get in the pocket, how to receive the ball, how to kick it out, how to finish. And, you know, those are just things to fine tune. We call them the vitamins. You need them every day. You got to be good at them every day. Um, but the biggest thing I think is, you know, giving him a, an idea and a strategy for each game going in. What is it going to take for you to play against Anthony Davis tonight? Uh, what is it going to be for you to play against Nurk tonight? What do you, how, you, how you have to play him? What are the keys to the game? You've got foot speed on this guy, beat him down the court, be the first guy down the floor. And I think the big thing for, for, for Mace and all of our fives is, is how much space we can create for our, our dynamic players. And whether it's a catch and a swing to a snap drive, or, and then, or a relocation underneath the basket. Uh, you know, sometimes your role isn't to shoot 25 shots, it's to shoot six or seven when your man goes to help. And just the spacing and stuff like that, we got to work on. Well, you mentioned that. I noticed you working him on three pointers too. I mean, yeah. he's not shooting three pointers in the no. game, but as a, as a coach, we're we trying to do there in pregame to kind of, I guess, get him in that mode, like, oh. if anything. I, I actually. You know, I, I haven't shared this with anybody else. I tell them, yeah, we'll shoot threes if you rebound the shit out of the ball. Today. I'll let you shoot a couple threes. Okay. Okay. So it has nothing to do with what he's going to do in the game or if he's ever going to take one in a game. It's A lot of it's about his rhythm and about his mindset. I let him, and I think we take 15 threes. I think there's three from each of five spots. And I'll tell him, I'll, I'll give you 15 threes, but you've got to rebound the shit out of the ball or you've got to be the first big down the floor. Tonight, beat your man down the floor all the time. So it's more, more it's more motivation than a technical thing. But I, <laughs> but I think that's part of it too. You got to relate to these guys. They got to have fun. You got to have fun. You got to make it enjoyable. We're going to work on. We work on our relocating. We work on our pocket passes, and we work on uh, our DHOs. So we've covered everything else offensively. Uh, I'll let you shoot a couple threes, but these are the keys to the game, and I'll give them the keys to the game. And then does that help at all with his free throw shooting? I know it's not yeah. where you guys want to be. Not his head or anything. No, but free it, throw shooting. How do you improve that if, if it no, we're, we're, we're it, that's constantly working on that. Um, and I think, you know, I, th I think he gets it in his mind that he, he can really, he can really shoot it. It's just a mental, it's a mental thing right now that, you know, he doesn't like to talk about. It. I don't even want to talk about it. So I, I even hesitate saying anything about it, but, um, it's, it's something we just continually got to work on. If he makes his free throws becomes a lot more dynamic and we can play them at the end of games right now we can't play them at the end of games right and you mentioned the offense overall for you guys um just when you look at how it compares to the rest of the league i mean just your pace and everything else just mm -hmm. how how pleased are you with where you guys sit maybe you want to do some more improvement i'm sure but just yeah. where things are right now where how, how good do you feel about it and what do you want to prove on going forward well i think we'd love to be where we are as far as the standard but you said it earlier, we get, we get caught up sometimes in trying to do a little bit too much on our own. We are so, we're, we're in the top five in the league in number of passes that we throw per game. Uh, our assist to field goal percentage rate, we're, at the, we're in the top. We're like, we're green, which is good. We're in the top 10, top five in passes, kick out threes, drives to the basket. And we want to keep on playing like that. And, you know, we, gotta, we have to be better at finishing because we're finding that some teams, when we get in there and go to finish, they push out on our three-point shooters because they know we're a drive and kick team and we got to be able to finish those. Um, but the, the biggest thing for us is spacing, convincing our guys where to get to on space so that, you know, as you drive and you get in the paint and two guys come at you, you know where our 
your teammates are going to be. And I think we've gotten really good at that. And we have to, you know, we'll have bad games offensively. We'll go, yeah, well, our spacing. And, you know, we won't even talk about making or missing shots. It's more about where are we, we're crowded over here. There's two guys can guard one. That's not good. Uh, but when we, we think when we have good spacing, uh, because we're such a good snap drive team and we're a good shooting team, uh, that that we're real tough to beat. Uh, just last thing, I know you're busy, guy. Thanks for giving me some time today, especially yeah. on the game day. Can you just explain just how things have changed for you guys excitement-wise? As a coach, I'm sure when you hit your first year, you're excited you want to do the job. But yeah. now, just the team, the atmosphere, the games, just yeah. it feels different. How does it feel for you guys on the coaching staff, if at all? It's a, the arena is a, a different vibe, for sure. I mean, the arena is great. Um, but I, I give a lot of credit to our players, too. I mean, um, you know, Melo, Melo changes the whole dynamics when he walks into a room. Like, he's just got a great bounce and a vibe. And he treats everybody the same way. And I think he says a lot about him as a kid. Uh, we've kind of grown up with Miles. So he's part, it's, it's like, it really feels like a family thing. So um, I, I, it, it is, it's, it's fun. Obviously, winning, winning is a big thing. Uh, and because it makes you want to come to work, but the players might be want to come to work too, because they're willing to be coached. And uh, I give JB a lot of credit because there's a lot of times that he just pounds them with video and pounds them with stuff like that. And, uh, the guys have been very receptive. They want to be coached. They're all super competitive. Uh, when you have that mixture, it makes it fun. Well, you gave me some great insight today, Jay. Right. Thanks appreciate for some time. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thanks, man. All right, so looking ahead on the schedule, after the Hornets got done with the Battle of L.A., that's the main thing they have on their mind going to the weekend. But once they finish and accomplish those two games, getting past those two games, they have a couple of days off before going to Boston to play the Celtics again. And that's a, obviously a big game because the Celtics are one of those teams that are kind of fighting right there for that seventh, eighth, sixth, ninth spot, per se, with the Hornets. And they beat them, obviously, a couple of weeks ago in Boston. Season going to remember that game and going to want some revenge. So it's going to be a tough game for them. And they come home, have a really difficult back-to-back where they face Cleveland, who before the year began, nobody thought that probably would have been a, a hard game for these guys, right? But the Hornets respect the Cavaliers because they actually went into the Cleveland, um, you know, and, and took them down after falling behind our early in the season. You probably forgot about the game, seemed like months ago, but the Hornets came out and emerged victorious and got off to that fast start to kind of help them to where they are right now. And then after placing, facing Cleveland on Friday, then they take on the Miami Heat on Saturday. So that's a really difficult back-to-back with two teams who are heading in the standings, who you have to be able to go out there and show once again that you can compete with them in case you see them down the line, potentially in playoff time. So this next week or so for the Hornets, it's going to be very interesting. Again, the Lakers and Clippers, those games, you know, they're obviously fun for show and you want to go out there and show you can compete against some of the best teams in the West too. And the Lakers are kind of down, but the Clippers have kind of been one of those hot teams coming back in second half deficits and, and knocking teams off. But then again, Boston, Cleveland, Miami, that stretch is going to be tough for the Hornets and they have to get at least two of those games in my mind to feel good about themselves. In this week's random fact, though, we have to go back to the game against the Pacers on Wednesday to kind of just discuss a little bit about what Kelly Oubre did and just how good he was out there in the floor that night. So, as you know, Kelly dropped 39 points. He hit 10 three-pointers. Yes, 10 
three-pointers, four hours, which is career high for him. But 39 points off the bench for him, that allowed Kelly to become the first bench player in team history to have at least two games of 35 points or more off the bench. Again, let me repeat. After dropping 39 points against the Pacers in that game on Wednesday, Kelly Oubre became the first reserve in team history to have 35 or more points off the bench in multiple games. That in itself is absurd. I mean, just think about dropping 30 off the bench once, but 35 plus twice and almost drop 40 off the bench and not play for the bulk of the fourth quarter because the game was kind of well in hand just shows what a great scorer Kelly Oubre is. The Hornets have a significant piece on their bench compared to years past. And Kelly is showing every game that he's a force to be reckoned with out there on the floor. If he can just make sure that he's good to go in every game, meaning obviously health-wise, obviously the right mentality, Kelly's going to be big for the Hornets come playoff time. I mean, huge. So just keep an eye on Kelly because when he's hot, the Hornets are really, really hard to beat. Well, that does it for this episode of the QC Hornets Nest. I'm Rob Boone. For more Hornets content, check out charlotteobserver.com. And for a special sub offer, click the link in my stories where it says support my work with a digital subscription. All right, until next time, we out.